0: Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 13 Research and Inquiry in Action with our student teachers.
1: Welcome back everybody to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Today we're going to talk to you about research and inquiry and how research and inquiry support student teachers on our initial teacher education programmes here at Cardiff Met. But before we talk about um, research and inquiry, before we hand over to some excellent student teachers we've got on our programmes here at Cardiff Met to talk about how they use research and inquiry to inform their practice and to help them move forward as student teachers. Just a quick diversion to let you know that research and inquiry here at Cardiff Met on our IT programme sits within our model for initial teacher education which we've chosen to adopt and it is called a research informed clinical practice model. Tom do you want to tell our listeners what that means? Yeah
0: you've probably heard us mention clinical practice before and I suppose at the most basic level if you think about learning to be a teacher and if you know anything about learning to be a teacher it tends to involve two places school and university and one of the problems that has tended to be the case and probably is still the case actually in some quarters is a bit of a divide between those two institutions you know and if you want to be really rude and caricature both institutions you know you tend to take the view that school is where you just clock up hours and teach and teach and copy your mentor and all of that and university is full of crazy academics who've removed themselves from real life and spout theories at you which are completely useless. And as part of our new programmes, what we really wanted to do over here was try and break down that divide, break down that slightly disrespectful them and us thing and find a way to join together the best of theory and the best of practice into a model which allows you to kind of mash the two of them up and uh, investigate them both in the university setting and the school setting.
1: Absolutely. And investigators are really important Word there, particularly when we think of it in light of research and inquiry. We want student teachers who are curious about their practice, who are asking questions about the theories that they encounter, be that at university or whilst they're on placement in school. And as Tom mentioned, go through this process of bringing both to bear in order to help them find a way forward and to move forward towards the qualified teacher status standards.
0: And we hear a lot about research in the teaching world and how it should have a bearing on the teaching world. And all of us who are teacher educators were once teachers. We all know that when you're in the classroom, it's very, very hard to get that stuff done. And it it can be a bit disheartening if you think that research just involves reading books or reading articles or finding about some study that was done 30 years ago in some other country or something like that. And So another myth that we really like to bust here on the programme is the idea that all engagement Engagement with research knowledge involves kind of reading dusty stuff and then trying to desperately work out how it might be applicable in your own classroom. And so what we're hoping to do in this episode is dig out some of the really good stuff that's been going on here on our initial teacher education programmes and maybe make it a springboard for all those colleagues that we know are listening further afield to maybe inspire you to try some of this stuff yourself or if you're doing some of this stuff already to realise that actually you're, you're more involved in interrogating and using research-based knowledge in your practice than perhaps you thought you were.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point actually. We can hear that word research and it can be incredibly intimidating, even inquiry actually. So, here at Cardiff Met, our sort of umbrella term of research and inquiry can include quite a lot of different activities, can't it, Tom? From, you know, reading journal articles and literature and looking at, you know, research findings that come from that sort of big R research domain. And that's certainly something that we do advocate student teachers do, but also that they consider that in the context of what's going on in the classroom and actually the classroom can be an important site for them to start considering key questions that lead to further inquiry such as why is that happening? How is that happening? What is the effect if I do this aspect of practice that I've been uh, observing my mentor doing? So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to stem from, as Tom mentions, those kind of dusty tomes of of books that we get out and, uh, and feel quite removed from what we're doing in the classroom.
0: Yeah, we had to come up with lists of possible activities, didn't we? And we've had some quite tricky conversations sometimes in school where people have said, well, why all this research and inquiry time? Why are they sitting reading and all of this? And you have to explain that quite a lot of research and inquiry can involve practical activities like team teaching the sort of deliberate practice that our good buddies from Teach First Cymru were talking about in in the first season of the podcast actually getting things done in the classroom and not just reading and we did find quite a nice uh, research informed thing didn't we in an article our our old friend McIntyre is it
1: 2005 that's right
0: yeah the continuum of educational Educational knowledge knowledge. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely so we've got eight points on this continuum and I think McIntyre, if I'm right in saying, Tom, takes great pains in um, saying that this isn't some kind of hierarchy, one form of knowledge being sort of superior to the other. But just to give you a sense of um, of what we've got on that continuum, it starts at number one, which is craft knowledge for classroom teaching, which is, of course, really, really important. And and not always easy for that kind of tacit knowledge that a lot of expert teachers hold not always easy unless you're really deliberate about articulating it for it to come out and for the novice teacher to really benefit from hearing about that craft knowledge
0: yeah and you mentioned articulating that craft knowledge and that's there at number two on the continuum and I remember being a mentor myself in school and and even not having ever heard of McIntyre and his wonderful continuum you know that was one of the most satisfying things about being a mentor was the fact that I realised that I knew stuff so tacitly, I just kind of knew what to do as an experienced teacher, that it was necessary sometimes to have a student teacher in who would force me to explain myself and articulate why it was that I did what I did. And having to kind of explore that myself with somebody else used to help me. And so, yeah, there is a difference between having that craft knowledge and being able to explain it to somebody else.
1: Yeah, an important wider point there about how a mentor can benefit immensely from having a student teacher. Great point. Um, Then we've got number three, deliberative or reflective thinking for classroom teaching Um, and something that we do in Cardiff Met uh, which we've spoken about before on this podcast is we use reflective models to help the student teachers kind of frame their reflection but to also kind of move them away from just an emotional response to what was going on um, in the classroom to start to look at it through sort of different critical lenses which can involve looking to literature to help them frame what happened.
0: Yeah and isn't it interesting that Those first three three, we're nearly halfway along the continuum. They don't actually look like maybe what you think um, where research is concerned. It is something that that good teachers should be doing all of the time. And it's not until you get up to those much higher reaches of the continuum, you know, and again, as you say, it doesn't mean that the bigger numbers are better. It's just that, you know, they have to be numbered. Uh, But when you get down the other end, it's not until you start dealing with, what we call big R research or generating, you know, little research projects and things like that. That stuff down the bottom is very, very doable and and very, very important.
1: Absolutely. Remember, this is types of educational knowledge and these types of knowledge are incredibly pertinent and valid to helping students move forward. So then we get to number four, which is classroom action research. And for those of you who have ever done action research out there, uh, actually, this is a, a methodology that takes some sort of thought forethought planning ethical considerations a whole bunch of sort of extra knowledge that you need to have to be able to do action research well um, and to gain sort of uh, data from that that is usable and supportive and then the final four aspects on this continuum sort of move up to a range where we've got teachers benefiting from the knowledge coming through from published research and actually schools being sites where they engage with and generate research themselves that help with our educational knowledge as a profession. So we've got a whole range and we would we would encourage you to have a look at um, McIntyre's continuum of educational knowledge but a whole range of things there that teachers can benefit from that are, are pretty much encompassed by the types of research and inquiry activity that our student teachers do on the programme. So, without further ado, I think we should probably hear from the students now. So, what we're going to do is play you five very short extracts, not consecutively. I think we'll do a little bit of uh, chatting in between each one just to reflect on, on what the students have said. All of our examples in this episode come from PGC Secondary, so the secondary phase, and they're quite subject-specific. But we've got another episode that's actually coming out in Welsh which features student teachers on the primary programme and undoubtedly we'll have future episodes where we showcase more work that will range from phase to phase but we think that the examples that we're about to play you now are applicable to to multiple phases. I'm going to hand over to Rebecca Chapman now who is on the PGC Secondary Physical Education Programme here at Cardiff Met. Let's hear how she used her research and inquiry time.
2: Hi, I'm Rebecca Chapman. I'm on the PGC Secondary Physical Education module. Um, Our clinical practice piece of work was to look at different assessment strategies, particularly peer assessment, and how it was utilised and implemented in PE at the school that we are based in. So um, my approach was to spend the first two or three weeks when we had more hours allocated to research and inquiry to try and observe as many different lessons and as many different areas of PE as possible. So we had some Key Stage 3, Key Stage 4, Key Stage 5 lessons in theory and practical. And based on my own understanding of assessment, I collated data in regards to how often different approaches and strategies were implemented into the lessons. And some of the um, data that I found was that in Key Stage 4 and Key Stage 5 theory lessons, there was definitely more attention to detail when it came to peer assessment and self-assessment strategies, because they had more time to facilitate it and it wasn't outside and trying to control 30 kids running around in an environment. It was sat down where they could discuss with their peers and actually integrate that into their lessons. It wasn't just a bolt-on process. Based on that, one of our assignments for my, from my research champion was around assessment. So, following on from the data that I collected, I decided to focus on how we can effectively implement more strategies in key stage three um, practical sessions, because I think that's one of the sessions and areas that needs slight development in terms of progressing them on into their key stage four, potentially PE theory lessons. So, my observations then became more broad, trying to get as many different um, observations of year seven, eight, and nine in their practical context. And then when it came to compiling data, I looked at where it was implemented, where it was most successful, how often it was implemented, and tried to highlight areas that I could potentially implement it for my own practice and offer suggestions to the department about where I'd seen it. They're currently undergoing a new curriculum and they're one of the pilot schools. So they are in, um, interested and invested in creating strategies that are more relevant and more helpful for the children progressing. So in regards to that, the data I'm now collecting is Based on the reading that was sent over, how can I effectively try and implement it into my lessons? And then I'm analysing and researching and reflecting on the impact, how time consuming it is and how I can effectively implement it, the department can implement it so that it fits in and isn't just a bolt on to physical education.
0: And it's straight away that we hear that this is all rooted in subject, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and what strikes me about Rebecca's example is that she kind of ranges from a problem that arises that she's kind of aware of in practice to trying to investigate that via what we could probably call some empirical research that she's decided to do for herself and for her department to considering how that chimes with the literature and then all the way back again to right, okay, what am I now going to do in my own practice Um, and she she talks about uh, this aspect of her practice not being a bolt-on so there's a sense that there is um, there's something niggling away at her there that she's identified as being a problem or a gap that she's using research and inquiry um, to address.
0: Yeah I like the fact that someone who's been in the classroom for such a short time I mean as we're recording this the students have really only been in for a few weeks she's already kind of you're right she's hinting at that tendency sometimes in school for us to stick strategies in because kind of they're the done thing or we feel we should have them or you know know, we're told that we should be using them and and for them not really to be there really well integrated into what we we do and and she's approached it in such a way that the thing that's that's really kind of coming through there is that she feels there's going to be some use for her and her department if she carries this on it's busting that myth that education research and stuff is irrelevant and pointless because she's going at it because she can see there's a problem and she wants to solve it for her and her colleagues
1: yeah absolutely and I think as a as a student teacher as well the fact that she's got a clear focus and those early observations that she did across a range of classes were looking at the same focus possibly made those observations a little bit more meaningful and allowed her to see sort of make comparisons compare and contrast looking at something very specific often we do observations as novices And if we're looking at something complex, like a lesson, you could concentrate on any number of things. But the fact that this was very focused, looking specifically at assessment, has helped her to really dig down more deeply into that issue. So we're going to give you another example now, looking to the PGC Secondary Music Programme, one of your students, Tom, Eleanor Hadjolambi. And let's see what she's got to say about how she used her research and inquiry time to move herself forward.
3: Hi, I'm Eleanor, and I'm on PGC Music. For our first and entry, we looked at music philosophies in education. I'd already done some reflecting on my own personal teaching philosophy right at the beginning of the course in induction week. But in hindsight, that was kind of more about my personal experiences as a music pupil rather than from a teacher perspective. So doing the reading for this R&E was really useful to kind of really deepen that understanding of how important it is to do have your own philosophy of teaching and the ways in which you can develop your philosophy. So I read a chapter by Heidi Westerlund about music philosophies in education and our own personal teaching philosophies and it really outlined how we should go about developing our philosophy and what things we can reflect on in creating this philosophy. So reading that, it helped me to really delve further into what my philosophy is. And I could reflect on a handful of things I'd observed in sort of my first week of CP1, as well as being able to reflect back on my time in school, but looking at it from a more teacher perspective now, rather than a pupil perspective, and being able to really dive into what I liked about my music education and what I want to bring forward into my teaching philosophy. So being able to collate all of that and really identify what my next steps were in putting this in place in my teaching was really useful for me to do.
0: And this might sound like something you would only want to do when you're new, but of course we did that episode the other day, didn't we, when we were pulling apart those music and drama chapters. And I do feel that it should be a required thing for us all to do once in a while just to go all the way back and, and ask those big questions that you mentioned in that episode you know why are we do what we're doing what are we for what's our subject for and it's really nice to hear that Ellen is grappling with that I mean, okay she hasn't got a huge amount of, of experience to go on because as we said she's only really just gone into the classroom so she's looking back to her own experience as a pupil and it certainly is really instructive to do that isn't it to, to look back and think oh actually <laughs> maybe there were things going on i didn't realize
1: yeah and- this this will emerge as a bit of a theme across some of these RE examples from our students that philosophy is clearly something and it's something that we talked about when we did an episode a year ago about philosophy is something that's always in flux that is quite organic that changes depending on the experiences that you have the more you know the more experience you have with young people and it's interesting that a lot of our students as you will hear now when we give some more examples talk about their own formative classroom experiences as learners, how their perspective has changed. But I think the important thing to mention that um, Eleanor touches upon there is that we're encouraging this directly by giving them some literature that asks them to consider their philosophy. So as you said, Tom, we looked at this in a previous episode. It's useful if you've got a few Useful articles or chapters that are going to ask some sort of provocative questions about that and create some disruption around their existing philosophy.
0: I'm also thinking back to Lisa Taylor's episode. I remember about leadership, and she was saying how important it was to hold on to your core values and how difficult it can sometimes be to hold on to your core values. I mean, we all, those of us who worked in schools, know it's it's a tough environment, and you know, your your values can take a bit of a battering sometimes. And I, I just find myself thinking, you know. If we we don't give our student teachers the time and space to actually crystallise those values while the going is relatively easy, although they may not think it is. How are they going to have them on a strong enough foundation that they can hold on to them in the face of difficult situations.
1: Yeah very good point point. and this is something that Sonia um, from the PGC Secondary Modern Foreign Languages programme also grapples with she's talking about philosophy um, and she also reflects back on her own classroom experiences and things that she held dear and how that was challenged by some of the research and inquiry work that she did so let's have a listen to what Sonia had to say.
4: Borada, hello, I'm Sonia, I'm a student teacher in modern foreign languages. I'm here to share with you how I approach the subject inquiry task one, which was about um, developing our personal teaching philosophy. So for me, uh, this task was a kind of three-way dialogue. Uh, First of all, it was a dialogue with the article and more broadly with, um, with research, what the research was saying about learning and teaching languages. It was also a reflection on the way I was taught, not only languages, but in general about my education, about all the teachers I've met, those inspiring ones and those less inspiring ones. And I think that formed my preconceptions about what teacher I would like to be and what is important in learning and teaching languages. And finally, um, there was also the placement in school. I felt that those first two weeks of observations in classroom were critical in developing my teaching philosophy. Uh, Being in school meant that I could check if my preconceptions were valid, and some were and some weren't. I remember that uh, what helped me to review and maybe change my philosophy were all those moments where I thought that something would go one way but went another way. And so give you an example the article uh, said, and also I, I believe that drilling were disengaging and boring for learners, but actually being in a classroom, I saw teachers who were really engaging and made drilling really a fun practice for pupils. So that was something that challenged me, but also challenged the research. So when I was writing the reflective entry, I felt that I was actually going back and forth between what the research was saying, what my experience were and what actually I saw in the classroom. And that helped me to define the teacher I would like to be. And finally, uh, this task also led me to a quite challenging and important question. Uh, which was what will I do when some pupils in, in the classroom want like my subject regardless of my efforts and my enthusiasm. So I had to think, this reflection made me to step back and think about my subject and the point of learning languages in broader context. I had to think what those pupils can take away from my classes and despite not liking the subject and that was something I had never thought before but something that now has become really important part of my philosophy make my teaching about all learners and make sure that I equip them with skills and knowledge that um, they can use in other subject and hopefully in their adult life thank you and
1: good luck. And there's Sonia. And what I love about Sonia's highly eloquent contribution to uh, our research and inquiry photo booth videos there is she really clearly exemplifies what we're trying to achieve with this idea of integrating theory and practice. And by going through the process of what we call clinical reasoning that happens on clinical practice, because she says multiple times that she was challenged by what she saw in practice, but she also noticed that what was going on in practice challenged the literature in turn. And from that, she was able to articulate further inquiry questions based on her understanding as well of the context that she was in, her specific learners that she was working with.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of really important points there for me. And one is this... Busting of the myth, I suppose, that it's a one-way traffic thing that the literature tells us what's (laughs) right, you know, and it's lovely to hear that that's a two-way street already for Sonia, you know, that she can look at the literature, but then she can look at what's going on in front of her and say, well, actually, do you know what, in my context... Maybe not so much. And I think the other one is one of the toughest things for new members of the profession, particularly student teachers, is that very, very quickly you're going to find some of your preconceptions get you know smashed apart pretty brutally sometimes. You go in there with an idea about what teaching is going to be like, but you never really know until you've had a go at it. And it looks to me like this this idea of research inquiry is to some extent giving Sonia the tools to deal with that in a really positive and constructive way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So sticking with tools now, that's a nice opener to a particular tool that we have on our clinical practice model um, here at Cardiff Met and our IT programs, which is a reflective model. So we're going to go to PGC drama now, and we're going to have a look at uh, a contribution from Becca Baines, who is going to talk about how some of her reflections that were sort of crystallized via this reflective model helped her to move forward with her practice.
5: Hi I'm Rebecca Baines and I'm doing the PGCE in Drama. I was just going to talk about something that I did for my research inquiry which I found quite beneficial. In my first ever lesson it was a team teach I was taking just the first part of the lesson and it was the first time I'd ever done it. I had written a plan for it and I tried to follow the plan as meticulously as I could Um, and yet I found that within the lesson there were things in the moment that I maybe missed things from my plan. I'd missed doing things in the correct sequence and even though the feedback that I got was quite positive I did feel after the lesson that there were a lot of things that if I was to do the lesson again that I would like to do differently and so I, I feel quite comfortable using the Bain et al model so I spent a little bit of time and I just went through answering the five questions that were there and at first I was doing the reflection because I felt that I should do a reflection but actually as I was writing it I did find that it was really quite beneficial for me understanding what happened during that lesson and trying to identify the places where things could have gone better or I should have done things differently and trying to find the reasons that those things went wrong Um, so I did the reflection I was then given the opportunity after speaking with um, my mentor in the school to do the lesson again but with a different class Um, And as a result, I put different things in place. So I restructured my lesson plan. There were things I did in different orders. There were things I spent more time on. And I did find that when I was doing that lesson, I was a lot more comfortable with the content because I had spent the time to sort of analyze, why am I putting this in? What are the benefits of it? And it did mean that I was able to take out those things that weren't actually kind of conducive to the learning or for myself and my practice. And I did feel then, as a result, I did again do another reflection on my second go of the lesson, and there were a lot less things that I pulled out. But again, if I was to do it again, there are things that I would tweak. So I do think that, as a, especially after the first time you've done something, it is really beneficial to do a reflection because it does inform then future practice. And So yeah. What I really respect about
1: Becca's contribution there is her honesty about using reflective model to begin with. Um, You know, some of these models, they can feel a little bit sort of counterproductive maybe or that we're doing them for somebody else and not for ourselves. But she obviously has exemplified there how actually using it helped her to identify the aspects of the lesson that went wrong um, and how she was going to move forward.
0: And for our student teachers, one of the things in which they differ often from well-established members of the profession is the need to have a structure to set out thought processes which are pretty much automatic by the time you've been in the classroom a few years. In this case, you know, Becca's using the reflective model really, really well to beef up the process of evaluating her lessons and make them even better. And it may be if you're listening to this and you're a well-established teacher, you probably think, well, maybe I don't need to do that for individual lessons and those little nuts and boltsy things that I need to improve. But I bet there's something that you're involved with um, as a serving teacher where going through that process would be really useful.
1: And we're going to finish off with one of my PGC drama students, Sebastian Perez, um, who is talking about a subject specific research and inquiry activity that I set my students to do, where he looked at a specific chapter all about the kind of philosophy behind teaching and learning in drama education. So that he could speak to his mentor about it, try to unpick her brain about her philosophy for teaching and learning and get a sense of how her decisions are very much driven by the young people she's working with on the ground. So let's have a listen to what Sebastian had to say.
6: Hi everyone, my name is Sebastian Perez. I am here on the drama PGC course uh, for secondary um, and I'm here to talk to you today about the subject specific research and inquiry task and how it helped me frame and develop my own personal philosophy when it comes to drama pedagogy for schools. So in the research and inquiry reading, uh, Fleming talks about drama and theatre and the dichotomy between the two ways of pedagogical practice, drama being we learn through the process and through what we do in the classroom and they learn from those specific tasks, whereas the theatre side uh, in Flemmie's book talks more about the uh, focus on a final product, creating theatre, creating art, and then the skills needed for that and creating that final product. So uh, I went to my mentor and talked to her about her personal philosophy and she replied with the fact that in her school we're limited on resources so the room that we have for drama uh is is very small and that's the only room limited props limited uh funds so in general the lack of those resources has guided her drama pedagogy her pedagogical practice more toward learning through drama through the tasks that we do in class by in class, we would set up a presentation, explain what we're going to learn, and simply working through those processes. Rather than trying to create theatrical performances that are we rehearse and develop and gaining those skills because we don't really have the technology for that and the ability and the facility for that, she focuses on learning through drama. And personally for me, um, I want to be able to find a balance between the two but before this research and inquiry task, the subject specific, I didn't consider that resources would ever be a factor, but considering what I've now learned, I know that I will have to take that into consideration when in my future jobs, wherever I'm working, um, I will definitely need to take that into consideration on how I tailor my own personal practice and pedagogy for the students that I'll be teaching. So yeah, that's everything I came here to say.
0: So Sebastian there is doing what you were talking about the other day with that Martin Robinson chapter, really, isn't he? Talking about the learning through drama and the really important extra ingredient is that he's in a specific department with specific challenges.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing quite like realising that you haven't got an all singing all dancing drama studio ready and waiting for you in your first job or when you're in your placement school with all of those amazing resources that you'd love your, your, your pupils to be able to benefit from but if you're working on a shoestring budget or you've just not got the resources because they've not been built up then that really has to make you reassess what's realistic, what's feasible with regard to the curriculum and kind of how you square your personal values, your kind of red lines about your subject with what in practical terms what you can actually do so you know and that that might lead to some creative solutions about workarounds so that you don't have to renege on your values and lose that dimension of what you want to do in your curriculum but you do have to be realistic about the parameters that you're working within so it's interesting that Sebastian was able to have a really sort of deep professional learning conversation with his mentor and that in turn then got him thinking a bit more deeply about his own personal philosophy for teaching drama
0: good to see research and inquiry kind of feeding into the pragmatic it's back to that Mm. thing we were saying you know that it's not irrelevant and and theoretical when it's helping you deal with pragmatic problems it also hints perhaps at the the idea that Sebastian is not going to make necessarily the same choices that his mentor has made that he can respect those choices he can see the reasons for them and now he's got the time and the tools to see whether he might want to come to a different decision when he's got his own classroom in his own department at some point in the future
1: absolutely and time and tools is hopefully what we've uh, given you an idea of in this episode, how you might use your time to th- the benefit of your learners by engaging in some research and inquiry and how that can look um, and how that has looked for five of our student teachers on our programmes here at Cardiff Met. And maybe some of the tools that you can use along the way, such as reflective models, um, such as literature, such as professional learning conversations, getting into collaboration with other colleagues in order to help you move your practice forward.
0: So as we just wrap up this little bit, then let's just remind ourselves of the really important things for research and inquiry. It needs to be personal. It's for you. Now, it may be that a, a more experienced mentor type figure might help you come up with some activities. You know, they might prescribe you some things to do, but it's got to be a personal thing. It's got to be uh, have a point for you. It needs to answer some sort of need or some sort of question, um, something that it, you need to move yourself on or you don't get something or you're having a problem with something. And it needs to be rooted in the context in which you're working. And, you know, that includes your own practice. It might include your own resources. It might include your own scheme. Of work, your subject, your phase, you know, it's not something that's going to come from some central generic source of stuff. It's got to be useful to you in your own classroom.
1: Absolutely. And I suppose, you know, be brave. It might take you into some uncomfortable or challenging territory it might challenge any preconceived ideas you might have it might actually cause some kind of healthy conflict between you and a trusted colleague or your mentor but that's a that's a good place to be you know it keeps us on our toes and it gets us thinking and constantly trying to improve what we're doing in the classroom
0: okay well so there we have a nice run through of some of the things our student teachers are getting up to on the pgc and uh, i'm very pleased to say that i haven't done my homework and you have (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, I thought I would try to kind of stick with the theme. So my something interesting is a blog that I may have drawn upon on the podcast in the past, but I can't remember. But blogs are quite interesting under the umbrella of research and inquiry, because I know that a lot of inquiring teachers tend to write blogs regularly. And they've they've also almost got a bit of a hint of a reflective model they often have links to literature this one in particular does and this one in particular is is good because you can subscribe to it and and it's very regular there i think What they do, this is basically the blog from Durrington High School uh, in Worthing, West Sussex. And they've got, they're they're kind of a research school and they've got a research school team um, who write this blog. They've also, interestingly, got a podcast, Class Teaching, the Durrington Research School podcast. Um, But what this means is that because it's shared out and a lot of their classroom teachers are also sort of inquirers, researchers, is that they're divvying out... um, um, the, the responsibility of maintaining this blog, but it also means there's quite a wide range of, of subjects that are covered. I think we're, we're mostly speaking from a secondary perspective here. Um, I don't think they have links with primary, but that doesn't mean to say that some of the topics that they write upon in their blog aren't uh, applicable to the primary phase. But the one that appeared in my inbox this weekend timely actually given that we very recently did an episode about your subject in the curriculum this blog is entitled where is the insert subject here in parenthesis in my curriculum question mark an apology to my pgc lecturer based on reflections from mary myatt's work on curriculum so this was written by ben crockett who is at b crockett with two T's, one, on Twitter. And he is a teacher of geography. And um, I won't do too many spoilers. You can read the whole blog and, and it's a it's a really interesting one. It's got some nice links at the bottom to some further reading. But what he basically does is, uh, is make an apology to his old PGCE lecturer who was called Roger, <laughs> Roger Firth. And he says that after every lesson observation or shared lesson plan or even tentative planning discussion would ask, Without fail, where is the geography? And he says, quite honestly, uh, Ben Crockett, that it used to drive him insane when uh, when he was training. But he has since been reading, as a fully qualified teacher, a lot of stuff around curriculum. So since he's been reading The Like of Work by Mary Myatt, who has a book that we've reviewed on this podcast, I think, Uh, Maybe we We mentioned
0: it in our lockdown episode. Oh, yes, we did.
1: (laughs) Called Curriculum Gallimaufry to Coherent. Since he's been reading those sorts of things, he's come back to this idea that Roger Firth kept banging on about, which was about making sure that you start with subject and that you don't end up designing, which uh, he admits he perhaps did earlier on in his career, um, sort of whizzy lessons where it's all very exciting and maybe looks to be engaging, but if you try and test what actual subject knowledge they've got at the end of it, you might uh, realise that there wasn't a lot of of subject really underpinning things. So what he does in this blog, which again I won't go into the details of, but he does talk about how he plans for this on a kind of long-term and medium-term level, Um, And he keeps coming back to that question, where is the subject in all of this? And he says, as Mary Myatt states, the integrity of individual subjects must be preserved. So um, might be one to have a look at and also to subscribe to their blog um, for lots of other interesting things.
0: Very nice. A blog and a rival podcast. I must say one of the uh, trickier aspects of being in initial teacher education is trying to get the balance between goodies that people could use in the classroom tomorrow and stuff that perhaps isn't going to make sense until a lot further down the line, you know, which they're not necessarily going to thank you for when they're in the classroom with you at the time. And it is a bit of a a favourite thing sometimes to be going on about how rubbish your PGC was and how you didn't learn anything at all. So it's quite nice to hear somebody looking back and and realising that somebody was doing something good. And maybe let's hope that this research and inquiry stuff that we've been going on about in this episode might help to square some of those circles. So with that in mind I believe your something to try and I'm calling it your something to try because as I said I have prepared nothing for these short slots is something that follows on from the research and inquiry examples that we gave you earlier on.
1: Yes so something that qualifies as a really good exercise under the umbrella of research and inquiry is doing some really focused team teaching. Now I can't really take credit for this and I'm going to do a shout out at this stage to my colleagues Sean Wickersham and Sally Bethel who work on the mentor professional learning team here at Cardiff Met and they've designed some really great professional learning resources for our very valued mentors who work with us on our programmes and they've got some advice about how to structure team teaching in order for student teachers to get the most out of it but I would wager that mentors could also gain a lot from being able to do team teaching in a way that frees them up um, in some instances, in, in some applications, to be able to get a different perspective on what's going on in the classroom. So. Akin to, I think it's Doug Lemov's model, but I might be wrong. He maybe didn't originate it. The I do, we do, you do model. We've got that model with regard to team teaching. So it starts off, I teach, you assist. So when you've got a novice teacher, you might want to start here and maybe narrow the focus to one or two aspects of the lesson. So this is where the mentor is teaching, the student teacher is assisting, and maybe you're going to, um, if you want to really sort of build their confidence, maybe give them aspects to assist with that they can find sort of quick success with, so they can start to build their confidence with the learners. Another stage in the model is the I do you do so this would be great for teachers that are trying to navigate teaching a really tricky concept so the idea here is that the teacher maybe teaches the tricky concept the first time you're team teaching and maybe you'd have to do this with the same year group that you've got multiple times either in a week or, or the following week. So you're teaching the same lesson more than once so the expert teacher the mentor teaches the difficult concept the first time and then the second time you have the lesson the student teacher gets to teach that difficult concept so you know a nice way of scaffolding there for the for the trainee teacher and then finally you teach I assist now this is the one where I think there could be a lot of benefits for the mentor here so this is where obviously as the student teacher is moving towards more independent practice the student teacher takes the lead and the mentor is very much taking the assisting role and it'd be really great if the student teacher were able to articulate sort of how they want the mentor to support in that lesson and that might be a bit of a test of you know how well the student knows what the needs of the learners are if they're able to sort of direct the mentor as to what would be best for them to do in that team taught lesson. So a lot multiple sort of learning benefits really to adopting this sort of three-step approach that doesn't don't necessarily have to go in that order but could if that's what's right for the student
0: it's a really hackneyed kind of metaphor, isn't it? But it's it's no less kind of true for that that trying to learn to be a teacher is a bit like learning to drive, you know, and in the same way that it's really easy to forget once you've been doing it for years and years just how much mental space basic things take up that eventually you do automatically team teaching is a really great way to outsource some stuff that you're not particularly focusing on at the moment but perhaps you've, you've not been driving that classroom long enough to you know for it not to take up mental space and so you know for a teacher to kind of do that while a student teacher can focus on the stuff that matters means you can make some real gains
1: absolutely so hopefully you've got some ideas there some things to try and if you're a student teacher listening Perhaps hearing the words of your peers, fellow student teachers out there who are you know taking some really positive steps by using research and inquiry to, to help understand what's going on in their practice and move themselves forward um, has been reassuring and might give you some food for thought
0: and how nice it is to hear some students on the podcast again because it's been a little while i wonder whether people were thinking we were just imagining all these students but they are out there
1: they are out there and the more we gather the more we'll uh, we'll put out there into your ears so we look forward to more of them down the line on the podcast um and we wish you well and we'll be in your ears again in two weeks time
0: You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guests this episode were our students, Rebecca Chapman, Ellen Hatchalambi, Sonia Fikis, Becca Baines and Sebastian Perez. Thanks to them for their contributions. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at TalkTeachingPod if you want to come and say hello. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.